of you. And uh, if you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you to uh, a series we're doing. You've already heard about it a number of times. And uh, we're right smack in the middle of it. You're in the middle of the movie. And uh, it's called You'll Be Glad You Did. And today we got the special privilege. We've been talking to different people, different segments uh, of, you know, life stages. Uh, we started out with students three weeks ago. Last week we talked to, anybody remember? Singles. They loved it. It was awesome. And today, guess who we get to top talk to? Couples. Couples. Okay, so that's going to be great. And you say, well, I'm not married. I'm single. I'm a student. Trust me, you're going to be glad you're here because you get to hear it on the front end. Now, if you're here and you're you know, uh, significant other, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whoever isn't here, and you say, man, I wish they'd have heard it. Well, you can go back to the website, and you can watch it with them again uh, online. Uh, I want to say hi to everybody online. Uh, great to see you guys, although I don't see you, you see me. But uh, you can go back and watch it and highly recommend it. Probably going to need this one twice, uh, especially the men. You're going to need this one twice, Okay. But uh, if, you're, if you're not married, I'm really, really glad you're here. And we're going to be talking to couples, but the overarching kind of verses is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You'll be glad you did. Look at what he said here. He says, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. And we're going to be looking at this word a lot today, is, is wisdom. Where does it come from? He's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Today we're going to be talking about couples, and this couldn't be more significant, more like, you know, powerful, this verse, if you do what I'm going to share with you, I'm going to give you one thing to do today. If you do that one thing, here's what Jesus is saying. Your relationship will not fall. I mean, what? That, that's incredible to say. And, and here's the deal with the relationships. Whether you're in one or you don't have any plans to be one, families, everybody who's in a relationship, look what happens. Rains come down, streams rise, and winds blow against that relationship. If you do this one thing that I'm going to share with you today, this is what's going to happen. And you will be glad if you do it. So let's jump right in. Couples, okay, couples, I got to give you, I always do this, I got to give you the fine print, okay, the disclosure. Today's going to be awkward, okay? It's going to be very awkward. Are we going to talk about sex? No, it's going to be more awkward than talking about sex. Okay? It's going to be extremely awkward, particularly, as I said before, for the men. All right? Why is it going to be awkward for the men? Because I tried to think about what if I were in the audience listening to this message? Okay? What would I feel like? And I must confess, I would feel awkward. Okay, and, and, and for the ladies, I want you guys to understand why this is so hard for us. Why this is going to create so much tension for us as men. Okay, let you into our world, right? And you don't have to say amen if you're a man. Okay, you can shake your head or you can grunt. <laughs> okay, okay here's, here's what it is. We don't like being wrong. 
We don't like being wrong. Number two, we don't like being told what to do. Okay, we don't like being told what to do, especially by another man who's standing on the stage. We don't like that. We don't want another man telling us how to run our relationships. Okay, if I were sitting in the audience with Laura by my side, I would feel awkward. Okay, just, and I, I'm the guy up on the stage. Okay, then number four, we want our wives to think that all the great ideas are our ideas. Okay, that's what we want our wives to think. So we don't want some other guy up there giving great ideas. No, this was my idea. Okay, this is what, what, what we want. And the ladies look at this list and they go, what is wrong with you? And I honestly don't know what's wrong with us. We got huge egos. Uh, we, we, were, we were designed by God with a purpose, but something went wrong. The wires got crossed and man, we're a mess. Okay, so let's just get all the tension out of the room. Here's what the ladies are thinking when they see this list and when they look at us. All right, you ready? We're wrong most of the time. This is what the ladies are thinking, and they know this. Okay, no law and amens either for the, from the ladies. Okay, They know this. We're wrong most of the time anyway. We desperately need to be told what to do. Okay? This is what they're thinking. And then another one, we wouldn't need another man to tell us how to run our relationships if we would just listen to our wives. This is what they're thinking. Okay? And then our wives know our greatest ideas were theirs that they let us think were our ideas. Okay, so now we got all that out, all the tensions out of the room, okay? And maybe there'll be more, but that's what each other are thinking. What we're going to talk about today in the context of couples is a term that we've used before. If you've been around our church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this before. It's a term, it's the most powerful relational dynamic there is. And that's mutual submission. Mutual submission. I didn't make this up. In fact, it's 2,000 years old. Jesus modeled this for us. He taught it, but he showed us by the way he worked with other people, the way he worked and taught his disciples. And he told them, this is the way I want you to lead as leaders. This is, and then the amazing thing is, is that after Jesus was gone, his followers wrote about this. For example, the apostle Paul wrote about this very subject. Now, let me say this. In order to practice mutual submission, this requires massive doses. I mean massive doses of humility. I mean, we're talking a shower for an hour of humility. That's what's required when we talk about mutual submission. So let's jump right in. The Apostle Paul, he teaches this, and, and the whole idea behind mutual submission is this. I'm here for you, and you're here for me. Okay, I'm going to lend you all of my talents, resources. I want you to be happy. And your couple, your spouse, your partner says, I want you to be happy. And it's that mutual exchange of humility and I'm in this for you is the whole mentality between, 
behind mutual submission. Let's look what Paul said, as he said in Ephesians, and he's about to start teaching wives and husbands, okay, the different kind of roles and responsibilities. But before he rolls out wives, husbands, this is what he starts out. This is how he sets the stage. He says, for both of you, for both of you, submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Okay, so in a relationship between a husband and a wife, for couples, what's the umbrella from which you operate? Mutual submission. I'm here for you, and you're here for me. And what we're about to look at is the next verses. If you take these out of context, which people do, it's terrible. Okay, it's terrible. So, and this is what people do a lot, these next verses that we're going to look at. So before we get into the verses for the wives, before we get into the verses for the husbands, understand this, both of you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so here we're going to go wives first. How does this look like, what does this look like, mutual submission from the wives' vantage point? You ready? Here it is. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is a tall order, isn't it? For wives, okay, to be submissive. Guys love this verse. But it's not written to them, is it? So when a brother comes to me or a member of our church comes to me and he shares this verse with me to his wife, about his wife, she's not submissive. You know what I say to him? It's not written to you. Mind your own business. This was written to who? Okay, so you focus on what is written to you, and you let her focus on what was written to her, right? Once again, guys love to take things out of context, but wives aren't the only ones. Let's look at another verse. Jump down to verse 25 and see what Paul says. Now, how does it look? mutual submission look for the husband, okay, for the man? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is what mutual submission looks like for the husband. Okay, now, this is a very, very, very tall order. It's a high standard. What did Jesus do for the church? Wow. Now, wives love to show this verse. And the women, what they say is, hey, you focus on, it's not written to you, it's written to who? To the husband. So if each one of us focus in on what is written to us, and we all understand and we all accept, I'm going to submit to one another. Things work out better. When both the husband and wife understand mutual submission and practice it, it's an incredibly, incredibly powerful thing that happens in the family dynamic. And the goal is, I'm going to take my talent my resources, everything that I have, and I'm offering it up to my wife. And she's going to do the same thing. And you can imagine what a relationship like that would produce and the dynamic that would exist. So it basically looks like this. This is the diagram. Okay, we got God at the top, and here is the husband and the wife. Now, when I got married... I understood that Laura 
was going to put God before me. And I was cool with that. I was like, that's awesome. And her expectation was that I would do the same thing. That we would both put God first at the top. He would be at the top. We would be accountable to him. And that we would put God first. And it created a great dynamic. So both of us are equally, the husband and the wife, are equally accountable to God. And it's a very powerful thing. He's at the center of everything. Okay? Now, if you're dating somebody, right? If you're dating somebody and you say, well, he's a Christian. I I want you to be very careful with that terminology. You know why? Because that's a loosely thrown around term, Christian. It can imply, well, he said a magic prayer and, 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 and really, you know, we don't know, but here's the definition. If he is a true follower, and you're, you're getting into a relationship with the idea that one day maybe you're going to be in this, this triangle, but how, how you'll know if he's a Christian is how he treats you. Okay, how she treats, or how she treats you, vice versa. And so thinking about this, you know, do not just assume just because he says or she says she's a Christian, that does not mean that God is at the top of their lives. In fact, the truth of the matter is, this is some of the dynamic that happens. In order for this to happen, this, this triangle, there has to be great humility. Great humility. As I said, mutual submission requires massive doses of humility. Let's be honest here today. Does humility come naturally for us? How about the guys in the room? Can we be really honest? Does humility come easy for us? Is it natural? Do we wake up in the morning just feeling, I am so humble? No, the reality of it is, we're into self-preservation. That comes naturally. That's automatic. Self-preservation. We've got to guard our emotions. We've got to guard ourselves from, from things that could happen, any of my insecurities. That comes naturally. It's almost instinctual. And so I want to, I want to encourage us to be honest about our humility. If we're going to have great relationships, it requires massive, massive doses of humility. Okay? Now, you ever come across a person who's humble? Don't you find them attractive? Yeah. I mean, we like them. How about an incredibly arrogant person? We're repulsed by them. They're repulsive. You're like, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? Man, she's got a problem. She's arrogant. He's arrogant. It's almost like it's automatic. So if you want to be in a relationship where there's mutual attraction, there has to be what? Humility. Lots of it. And humility is huge. And as we're going to see, it's one of the big deals that creates or destroys all relationships. Whether you're married, whether you're in a family, friendships, work relationships, you name it, this is huge. All right? So... Whenever we get this wrong, whenever there's an absence of humility, what happens to this triangle? The power struggle begins. He wants to be on top. And here's the problem. 
you're not letting me be the leader that God wants me to be. Is that the reality? And he begins to mistreat her. And God is no longer on top. God's off to the side. And I would say predominantly in the Christian world that we live in, this is where God is. He's on the side. You can just tell. How do we treat him? Our schedule, our priorities, you know, the way we live, the, the way we talk. Is he at the top? No, he's not. And that's why there's so much drama and dysfunction in our family dynamic. Or if he's not doing his job as a husband and he's, you know, disconnected, what happens? Then she wants to take over. She, their power struggle comes then. Well, I got to be in charge. And, and this is how it goes in a lot of relationships. Either he wants to be in charge or she wants to be in charge. Out of insecurity, fear, you name it. And, and, and so this is what can happen. Again, where's God in all of this? And it's really, really hard to entrust our relationship and our lives, our emotions to God through this. When we don't follow God's plan, it creates incredible dysfunction. And it affects a lot of people. And it eventually causes the relationship to fall apart. And we're seeing that a lot today. I mean, we hear it, the windows are open now in this time of the weather, and so you hear the argument across the, the, the street or across the yard or across the, you know, the way. You hear it. Why is the argument happening? Let's just be honest. Somebody's in a struggle for power, and God is not in his proper place. So if you want to have a great relationship, a great partnership, it's got to be God in his right place, and the both of them have to be mutually submissive to say, hey, I'm in this for you, you're in this for me, how can we make this work? Okay? So, again, to have great relationships requires, in order to have, in order to have great relationships, an incredible relationship requires massive doses of humility. If you want to know what's wrong with your relationship, right now if it's not in a good spot. I can almost promise you at the root of everything that's going on is there's great pride. Great pride. If you will take care of that one element in your life, well, I'm not going to be humble around her. She'll just take advantage of it. Okay, but is that the issue? Now the issue is you and God. Well, I'm not going to be humble around him. Because all he does is he disrespects me and he takes advantage of me. And at some point, somebody's got to give and say, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be humble. And that opens the door for so, so much. So we're going to look at a verse. And, and if you don't have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to download a free app on your mobile device. It's called Version. It's free. It's awesome. The, this, will, this, this app will read to you at night. It'll read to you in the car when you're driving the Bible. You got the Australian voice. You got the America voice. You get a woman. I mean, there's so many different options. There's reading plans. It is so incredible because I want you guys, I want to encourage you to read your Bible because it's so powerful what's in here and what we can know. And it's so available. 
okay? And there's so much at stake. So we're going to jump right in. This is from the, the, uh, the, the book of James. It's a small, it's not really a book, it's a, it's a letter that he wrote, okay? It's very short, it takes you about 15 minutes to read it from, from end to end, really short. You know what's amazing about this? this wouldn't you like to know what one of Jesus' family members would say about being with him? James. James is the brother of Jesus. Now, when he introduces himself in the beginning of the letter, he doesn't introduce himself as the brother of Jesus. Do you know how he introduces himself? The servant and slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what would you have to do to call your brother? I got two brothers. You know what they would have to do to, for, me to call, for me to assume the position of a slave and a servant of my two brothers? You know what they would have to do? They'd have to raise from the dead. That'd do it. That'd be enough. And the amazing thing is about James, James doesn't come on the scene until after the resurrection. And wow, what just comes out of him. He knew who Jesus, Jesus wasn't his brother. Jesus was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And to hear him talk about Jesus is amazing. I mean, what an incredible testimony about, you know, the Bible and the validity of what we're reading. Okay? All right, so here's James, and he's talking about this whole idea of humility and where does it come from and in and, and, and the relational dynamic. He says in chapter 3, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Okay, so let's talk about wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is this. I'm making a decision today that's going to turn out really good later. That's wise. That's wisdom. If I take good steps today that are going to turn out as a blessing and that are going to be awesome later, that's wisdom. So who is wise among you? He's saying, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Okay, now understand there's different types of wisdom, and James is going to get into that. Okay? There's a wisdom that comes from humility, and there's a wisdom that comes from something else. So he goes on. Wisdom. He says, when you start out with wisdom, and a lot of people have wisdom, right? Education will give you wisdom. Experience will give you wisdom. But when you decide to be humble as a wise person, when you decide to open your hands and go, I don't know everything. Because anybody who says, I know everything, is arrogant. They may know a lot, but they're not wise. Just They've already, they've already tipped their cards that they're not wise. But when you're wise and then you're humble, guess what happens? You get even greater wisdom. Your wisdom goes even higher. And that's what James is talking about, taking wisdom to another level. And this type of wisdom that James is talking about only comes through humility, that I don't know everything. Okay, so he goes on. And so he addresses some of the other types of wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. How do you know if somebody's arrogant? Two ways you can know they're arrogant. They boast a lot, don't they? They tip you their cards, you know? It's an arrogant person doing a lot of talking, a lot of boasting about who they are, what they know. And then, top it off, they deny. So if you ask to, you know, question or maybe confront them, hey, I'm noticing you're a little arrogant. No, I'm not arrogant. 
Let me tell you the truth about arrogant people. They have no idea. They know maybe a little, but they have no idea how, how huge it is. Guess who's going to know if you're arrogant? The closest relationships you have. So let's get in here about this word envy. What is envy? Ooh, envy's dark. Envy says this, you got something that I don't have and I want it. Envy, envy manifests itself in insecurity. Insecurity is a blind side or a blind spot into something I don't know about myself or I don't know about my surroundings. When people are insecure, there's something they don't know about themselves and they're uncomfortable with that and there's something they don't know about people around them. And so this whole idea, how does envy show itself? We know, I hate her. Why? What has she done? Well, I don't know. She just, she's so skinny. You know? And, and how does she walk around in those shoes? I just don't, I don't like her. You know? And, and so you, you get, you're getting the idea. Or, or, or with a guy, be like, you know, I hate him. Why? I don't know. I just hate him. He, he rubs me the wrong way. Okay? I think you don't like him because he's got money. He's got a lot of money. He's rich. No, that's not it. See? Deny it. Right away. No, that's not it. Of course it is. You see? And so you can tell. You can tell where there's envy. And, and in our closest relationships, we can see this kind of stuff going on. Bitter. This is the worst kind. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. It's just, it's just this dark. It's all about me. It's not about other people. It's all about me. What I have, what I don't have, what you have. I want what you have. And I'm jealous. And I'm this. It's just dark. And this cultivates a, a really bad dynamic in relationships. And so what James is saying, don't boast about it or deny the truth. He goes on. Verse 15. Such wisdom, okay? The world calls this wisdom. Let me tell you what's, what, what, what he's talking about. Have you ever heard of a marriage counselor? A marriage counselor who's been divorced a couple of times? Seriously. I've, I've known them. They're counseling, and a lot of times they don't like to tell people, but you find out, because it always comes out. They're counseling people on their relationships, or a relationship expert who has terrible relationships. And he's writing books about the relationships. He's an expert. What's that tell you? There is a wisdom out there. This such wisdom does not come down from heaven. Remember the, you know, the, 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 gra the, the diagram that I showed you? Where does wisdom come from? Humility. But there's this kind of wisdom. It doesn't come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and even one more gripping word, demonic. It's dark. It's dark. And see, there's people out there that think they know a lot, but if you look at their life and you look at their relationships, you shake your head. And if you and I want to get this right, we've got to get it right from the vantage point of where does the wisdom come from that we want? He goes on. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. So what are we looking for? 
What's the fruit? What kind of fruit is falling from that tree? If it's disorder, which our world is producing big time today, in the name of wisdom, we know more than what we knew before. Oh, really, show me. Show me that relationships are better today than what they were with all these books, with all these self-helps, with all this understanding. Show me how relationships are better today than what they were in the past. Where you have envy and self-ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. He goes on. But the wisdom, this is the wisdom that we're looking for. The wisdom that comes down from heaven is first of all pure. Who am I in this for? It's not twisted, it's pure. Meaning I'm in this for you and I'm in this for God, I'm in this for others. It's first of all pure, then peace loving. Oh wow, look at this word here, considerate. What, what is considerate? Consider is this, I defer to you. Where are we going to lunch today? Wherever you want. No, no, no. I want to go where you want to go. No, no, no. I want to go where you want to go. <laughs> have you ever seen, have you ever seen a couple in an argument that are deferring to each other? It's very rare. You know why? Because they're in it for each other. And, and if I'm in it for you and you say, no, I want to go where you go, okay, we'll go where I want to go. But next time we're going where you want to go. Okay, deal? Yeah, good. Consider it. I defer to you. I want, I want you to be happy. I'm in this for you. Submissive. Submissive, meaning I take a knee to what's best for you. I want you to be well. My top goal in our relationship is your well-being and happiness. And then on the other side, my top goal is your well-being and happiness. Wow, what would that look like in a relationship? That's what, that's what James is saying. Full of mercy, meaning there's going to be times where you're going to have to forgive each other. Good fruit, impartial and sincere. So what kind of fruit are falling from this tree of wisdom? Good fruit, good stuff. I want to be in a family like this. I want to be in a relationship where this is. Don't you? Then we've got to be that for each other. And we've got to identify where does this wisdom come from? From God, but where does it come from? Humility. So if you want this, you basically have to decide, I don't know everything. There's a lot I don't know about relationships. I've been married for 25 years. There's a lot I do not know about my wife and about how to have great relationships got two grown kids. There's a lot I don't know about raising kids. You see, there's a difference. And too many of us, our hands are closed. We think we know everything. And your fruit that's hanging from your tree shows you don't know nothing. You can't fix your situation and you're blaming the other person. It's about you. Okay? It's about your arrogance. So if we want this good stuff here, James is saying... It comes from heaven, and it comes via humility. Okay? So relationally, it looks like this. If you see something that's wrong in your marriage, in your relationship, if somebody brings something to your attention, what should you do? Boy, that's going to take you from here to here. That's humility. You're going to go from wise 
If you're humble, you're going to go even greater wisdom. Okay, so admit it. Don't fight it. Don't deny it. Okay, then what next? Consider it. Think it over. Don't just pat, admit it. Oh, yeah, sure, I'm sorry. Think it over. Consider what is being brought to your attention. And then the third is embrace it. Embrace it. I feel like if anybody comes to me and says, hey, I I see some pride in your life, got me. I don't even have to resist it, argue it, because why? I have a tendency of pride. So you don't even have to really, you know, like even, even hint. I know it, so I'll accept it because I know that's my tendency. And all of us as men, if we would just face the facts and admit who we are, what we are, what gets us into trouble, what gets us into arguments, what's at the root of all of our resistance, things would go a lot, a lot, a lot better. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to do one thing today. If you do this one thing, it could very well change everything in your relationships. And in the future, for you guys, for you students, this is the type of person you want to be looking for and the characteristics in a relationship. Okay? So mutual submission, it requires a lot, a lot, a lot of humility. Okay? All right, so let's go to the next slide here. This is what it looks like. So here's what I'm going to ask, the one, one thing. Okay? One thing. Pray together. Couples, pray together. Pray together. Pray together out loud and on a regular basis. This, this is, if I were to give, a, you know, a recommendation for all couples, what's the one thing, what's the one thing that could change everything in your relationship? In fact, guaranteed, if you will just do this instantaneously, it could change the temperature in your marriage. I, you know, and i got to be honest, I've been in arguments with my wife, but we pray together, and guess what goes? The thermostat drops down. And you go, okay, instantaneously, this happens. Now, here's the guys. They go, okay, I got this. God is good. God is great. Thank you for this meal. That you give them. Hey, we did it. We prayed together out loud. Now, I'm not talking about meal prayers. Okay? Okay, you know, the, the other one is day by day, day by day, day by day, day by day. Now, we're not talking about those kinds of prayers at the dinner table. We're talking about face-to-face, eye-to-eye with your wife praying together on a regular basis. What do we mean by a regular basis? Every day. I mean, it may be a day here or there, but wait a minute, I'm just too busy. I don't, I don't know if I can do that, and I used to do it, or I just feel uncomfortable. I feel prayer is, prayer is something private, and I have a hard time doing it with somebody else in a loud voice, and et cetera, et cetera. There's all kinds of reasons, and I've heard them for, for a long, long time. It's a personal thing. You know, it's a quiet thing. And I've heard it from both the wife and the husband. And, and if you resist this, if you resist this, 
I really, really want you to identify the reason why. Okay? It's not a belief thing. It's not a theological thing. I'll give you a clue. You know what it is? You're not humble. And if you're not humble enough to fight for your relationship, you're going to have a really hard time. And this is huge. This is so, 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 so huge in our relationship dynamics. And it's not just in couples. I'm talking, if you want to have a relationship with somebody in the future, ask the question if you're single, how's your prayer life? And if there's prayer in and around that special somebody, then maybe you should be attracted to them a little bit more. But if they're not a praying person, I don't care how good-looking she is or how good-looking he is. I don't care what he drives. I don't care. Listen, this is going to make all the difference in your future, whether it stands, whether it falls. Okay? Now I'm going to blow your mind. Are you ready? There's been studies that have been done. There's been studies that have been done of couples that pray together. Now, here's a reality check. They've done studies of Christian couples in churches. This is a broad study that was done, Christian churches like ours, but probably a lot of churches. Guess what percentage of Christian couples pray together? Guess how many do? Any idea? Throw out a percentage rate. Audience participate. I'm sorry? Eight percent of all Christian couples pray together on a regular basis. That means of an audience of this size, everybody here together, only this little group up here is praying together on a regular basis. With so much power, so much wisdom available, why would so few pray together on a regular basis? There's been studies, I showed a video a while back, but they did a study of couples that pray together. You know what the percentage rate of how many of those couples that pray together on a regular basis get separated and divorced? Less than 1% of couples that pray together on a regular basis get separated and divorced. Just that. And look at what it does. Look at what it does. I mean, it's huge. Now there's one more. I gotta, I gotta blow your mind. Okay? There's one more study. How many of you have ever heard of Dr. Phil? Okay? I'm not a huge fan, but he, everybody knows about him. He's got his own program. He is a relational expert. He's written books about how to keeping relationships together, couples. And he wrote a book about 10 years ago. It's called relationship rescue, okay? And he quotes a study in his book about couples that pray together. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the quote. An interesting statistic reflects that the divorce rate in America is at a minimum of one out of two marriages. At a minimum. What we know about marriages in America. This was 10 years ago that he wrote this book. You know, how much work did you put into your wedding? Some of us put a lot of work into it, right? You owe it. You owe it to your relationship to be on the right side of the statistic. 
And my hope is that every single person sitting in this room, whether your spouse is here or not, every single person that we can be on the right side of this statistic. But you want to know the truth? Even in our church, we've had people get this wrong. If, if they just prayed together on a regular basis, it could have changed everything. So here's what Dr. Phil is saying. He goes on and he says this. But the reported divorce rate among couples that pray together is about one in 10,000. This was a study. And I want you guys to understand this. There has never been anything, any practice, any behavioral implementation of a recommended practice that can even get close to this. You know those those relational courses, workshops that you go, if you do these five things, it will produce this. If you do these top ten things, it will produce this. If you do this one thing, one thing in your relationship, in your marriage, this is what happens. One in 10,000. How'd you like to go 50-50 chance to one in, one in 10,000. How'd you like to go from those odds? Do you think any couple stands at the altar and says, I do, with the intention of getting divorced? How can you guarantee it? How can you seal it? Praying together on a regular basis. We'll do it. Look at what he says. He goes on, he closes out. Pretty impressive, even if you reduce it by 10 or 1,000-fold. So what's keeping you back? Why aren't you praying together? Why only 8%? And whatever it is, whatever the barrier, whatever the struggle, I want you to be honest about it because you're going to discover something about yourself. Do you know why the majority of the people do not want to follow God and follow Jesus? Do you know why? It's not a theological problem. It's not complicated. They don't want to be humble. See, when you pray together, it requires a massive dose of humility. You don't even have to get down on two knees. Tebow, go down on one knee. Go down on one knee and say, God, I need you in my relationship. I need you in this relationship. What do you say to your kids when you pray together on a regular basis? Who's in charge of the family? so powerful. So take that home with you. I mean, there's never been anything published like this anywhere about a behavioral implementation. If you just do this, this is what it guarantees. Never been anything like it. So here's the bottom line. Couples that pray together, or in other words, couples that pray together, are far, 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 far,
to be separated and divorced. So that's the one thing I'm going to ask you to do today. Well, no, man, this is, this is hard and it's uncomfortable. Okay, so I, I know that. And, 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 and so I'm going to give you some tips. All right, you ready? Okay, it's not complicated. Short and awkward is better than long and flawless. Short and awkward is better than long and flawless. Some of you want to pray like some of our ministers or, you know, I'm just talking about this. You're in bed. You reach over for her hand and just her hand, and you say in a loud voice, God, I'm praying aloud. Bless our marriage. Amen. Just do that. Just do that. And cultivate it and develop it. Okay? That's what we're talking about. Tip number two, pray with each other, not at each other. Okay, what is at each other pray? God, I pray for Jim that you will forgive him for talking to my mother the way he did at the dinner table tonight. And I pray that you will humble him. Now you pray with, with each other, not at each other. Okay? It's a humility. Okay, and then the last one is uh, pray together with your children. Pray together for your children. What's this tell you right here? Just because you pray with your children doesn't mean you should don't pray with your wife. Pray with your wife. Separate. In a loud voice. Sometimes she can pray. Sometimes you should pray. Both ways. If you find a relationship where this is going on, you will be blessed. You will be so, 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 so glad you did. Let me tell you about people who get divorced. They never completely recover from it. They can tell you, oh, I'm so glad I'm out of that relationship. Let me tell you, there's a mark, there's a scar. Why not get this right the first or the time when you can, when you come to a knowledge of this, why not get this right? And listen, I've talked to couples in our church, and I've said, bro, why haven't you prayed together? Well, I don't know. Be honest. You're arrogant. You're not humble, and you're not going to be wise, and you're going to hurt a lot of people. Studies show that if a couple gets separated and divorced, basically the, the shock waves that go out, 250 people minimum, one couple, 250 people it affects. I'd rather affect people in a positive way. And we always applaud. You get a couple that's been married for 20, 30 years, and you go, wow, that's awesome, so great. We, we love them, we admire them. That's so rare that, that we see that today. Why can't everybody be like that? Okay, so let's, let's wrap it up. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to do that this, this week. Pray together out loud on a regular basis. And at, talk to each other. What can your group do to help you get through this? Okay? And if you have children, 
you owe it to your children to pray together for that family because they're vulnerable. They don't have a choice. Humble yourself for them and you'll be extremely glad. Let's pray together. And, and I'm going to pray for me, but this isn't how you have to pray in the future. You pray your way. And then we've got a special announcement at the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the gift that you give us. That if we entrust our relationships to you, you will ensure, guarantee success. God, I pray that you'll help us to be honest about what's keeping us back and that we'll be humble. And we will pursue the wisdom that you offer us. Help us to be open-handed. Help us to be uh, willing to learn and grow from each other. Take, take away the, the stuff that's hurting our relationships and help us to be humble. And Father, I pray for our families here in the church and people online that are watching this, God, that you'll please help them to take things to a whole nother level in our community, in our city. I pray for our singles and our, our teens that are here this morning, God, that they can find someone that's going to pray with them for the rest of their lives. God, we need you. And it's not just to stay together. God, we want to thrive. What could you do in our marriages, with our finances, with our jobs, with our, our, all the other things that are going on, if we'll just pray? Please help us. Thank you. And we love you. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to ask all of you as we close out to stand up and turn your attention to the back. We got Janoni. She's here today to give her life to Jesus and turn herself in. So Marty, take it away.